0: And now it's time on Flame CCR to take a look behind the studio's green door to find out who is in today's chat room.
1: Midnight, one more night without sleeping. Watching till the morning comes creeping. Green
2: door, what's that secret you're keeping? And now, are you listening? you mm-hmm.
0: called Jesus Says. You're listening to Flame Radio on 1521 Medium Wave and online. My name is John Cheek and for the next hour I'm delighted to say that we're going to spend it in the company of our special guests all the way from Glossop, which I think is Derbyshire, just over the border into Derbyshire. I'd like to extend a big welcome this afternoon to Mr. Rick Henry.
3: A job. Alright, yeah.
0: For the next hour, we're going to be spending it in the company of Rick Henry, a Christian, a musician, a man with great stories to tell, and we'll get cracking with it straight away. Rick, can we go right back to the very beginning, literally? Whereabouts are you from originally and sort of growing up? Did God play any part in your life?
3: I believe that God plays, obviously, a part in, in all our lives, whether we realise it or not. And I think most of my life, until about the age of 20, I, w- I was unaware of, of, of the role God was playing in my life. I was born in St. Mary's Hospital in Manchester on Oxford Road to Christine and John Henry. Christine's a Babington girl. She lived down the road on a He Close. Oh, yes, yeah. yeah. Uh, my dad was from Wardenshaw, a working-class family, who we were originally from Barrow. Barrow and Furness. Yeah, and then Dublin before that. Oh. To um, be sure, to be sure. So I was brought up a Catholic. My mum, my mum's faith is a Roman Catholic, so she dragged me to church every Sunday and every holy day and dragged me to confession until about the age of probably 12 or 13 when I started to rebel and thought, this is this isn't for me, this. I'd rather be listening to the top 40 or out playing in the woods with my mates, you know, or out on my bike, you know, it wasn't really sitting in a mass for an hour, hearing some... it didn't really appeal.
0: Well, I actually attended a Catholic service just this week, I had to go to a funeral at a Catholic church over in Buckley in North Wales, and to be honest, I did find that a lot of the, the service was absolutely fine, perfectly fine. For you growing up, In that particular neck of the woods all those years ago, Rick, or maybe not that many years ago, what was church like growing up? What was the experience like for you? Can you describe what a typical Sunday morning
3: service was like? It was exactly that. It it was a, a Sunday morning experience. It was an hour out of my life that I was made to go and attend a Mass. And it was hymns, repetitive prayers, there was communion, there was always a little sermon, collection. Stand up, kneel down, stand up, kneel down. There's little knee pads that you used to sit on. I used to sit on them when yeah. I was really young, you know. A kneeler. Uh, yeah. My grandparents on my father's side were brought up in the Wesleyan Methodist Church. Yeah. My great-great-grandfather, George, I found out recently, helped build a church in Manchester, a nonconformist conformist Wesleyan chapel. Wow and I've, I've come to realise uh, recently that I think I'm a non-conformist. <laughs> <laughs> um, in every sense of the term, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, but I had a happy childhood, you know. Uh, we lived opposite um, some woods, and there was playing fields, there was a golf course with woods, there was streams, building sites to get in trouble on, and, you know, we had bikes, and we had great summers. <laughs> I was born in 68, so in the 70s we had proper summers in England, so, our, you know, there were long summers, <laughs> yes. you know. I remember the jubilee year and I was happy. I think secondary school was a bit daunting. Went to a pretty strict Catholic school in Glossop, although I'm from Marple. Used to travel on the bus every day, which was probably the best part of like fifty minutes. So I got home from school later than all my mates. All my mates at the high school were already playing out when I got back, and I had homework to do and stuff. And, and I think I started to rebel around that age, really. You know, and that was like you know the early eighties, end of the seventies. Um, so we would had the punk explosion, and, and then the new wave was in. And there was the young ones on the TV, and then there was the Tube on the TV, and there was all these bands like the Smiths and Susie and the Banshees, and Big Pistols fans and Buzzcocks fans of being from Manchester, who I ended up working for later on, funnily enough. We might Um, be talking
0: about that.
3: So, yeah, I think that I started to rebel when I got into rock and roll music. You know, when I discovered punk rock and heavy rock music and punk rock music, and I saw that your life seems sort of mapped out. You know, you go to school, you have to go and get a job, you have to start contributing to society. And then I saw these otherworldly beings, musicians, with... I thought you meant girls, then. No, no. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, I'm not going to say anything <laughs> about, about the fairer sex. But yeah, there was, you know, there was these guys that looked cool and played cool music that made you feel something that you connected with. Oh yeah, you know, and I connected with something. You know, I connected with that rebellion, if you like. Did but you know, sort of consciously, did you know what you were rebelling
0: against? No i don't think i did or was it just this sense that you could see life mapped out society mapping out each person's existence and you were being told that you needed to have a good education why well to then get a good job why well then to have a good salary why to be able to afford the good things in life why because that's just how it is yeah
3: I think that's probably what it was. I I thought there's more to life. There's got to be more to life than birth, school, work, death. You know, which is a great title for an album. In fact, I think somebody's done it. I think the, <laughs> the, the Godfathers it. did it. <laughs> yes, um, they did. That was just my my outlook. You know, or I don't think it was a conscious thing. I think it was a rebellious spirit that I picked up from the music that the older generation. Because I was too young to be a punk. You know, I was I was nine, ten years old when punk kicked off in Britain. But um, there was a connection there. I had a friend at school called Richard Dixon, and he had an older sister who mm-hmm. was a punk. So when I used to go and play at his house. I used to hear the Sex Pistols first album and yeah. and I was like, Wow, that sounds great and I used to listen to it and I, I think I made a Let Me Borrow It one time and I took it home and don't think my mum was impressed, you know, and I'm playing Anarchy in the UK at full blast on my little oh, stereo. Man.
1: Set by Kazan!
0: Although I was a very, very little boy down south, I did actually see live the Sex Pistols being interviewed by Bill Grundy yeah. on the Today programme. I actually watched it live at the time. Wow. And from me, being a very little boy, I'd only just discovered some of the words that they <laughs> used in that interview. And it was just amazing to actually see it happen. And it was like just the fact that they weren't controlled yeah, And a big thing about punk was that word control. Mm. It was about being not controlled by the man.
3: Well, that's it. They really were a kick at the establishment, you know. Um, I think John Lydon said in his book, one of the problems with the working class is they kick down. They vilify one another, like the press does. The benefit cheats your problem, the immigrants your problem. They're it's not. The football hooligans your, your problem, and they're not. They just tell you that they are. So we end up fighting amongst ourselves. And, the establishment and, the, has, the, has always done that, though. They've divided the people against themselves, yeah. either along
0: religious lines or political yeah. lines or even football lines. And in the Divide, 70s. conquer, and rule. Yeah.
3: yeah. 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 It's, it's always been the same. Every ruling power, if you like, or every, every, every regime... Every dictatorship, you know, it's divide, conquer and rule. Nothing's changed. The Bible tells us that. It says there's nothing new under the sun. What's gone on before will go on again. Who was it who said that the one thing we've learned from history is that we haven't learned anything from history? You know, (laughs) But I think today we are learning from history. And I think that the punk attitude was, it was a kick. It was like, no, we don't have to conform to what society says we should conform to. And I think when you tell somebody that they're no good, that the only future they've got is to work on a building site, or have got a college learner to be a bricklayer or be a plumber, but they're artistic and they've got something else that's going on inside them, but the system crushes that. that thing inside you is strong enough, it's going to break through all that and it's going to cause trouble. And oh, I yeah. think that's what I did. I started playing the guitar at 14, gave up and then picked it up again at 17. There was a local band, a good friend of mine called Mike Elliott, uh, he had a band called Mask and he was about four years older than me he was in the fifth year when I started secondary school and they used to rehearse in a, a little church hall down in Marple Bridge so we used to go we found out wandering about the streets at night you know one night heard this music coming from this church and we we, we discovered there was this rock and roll band with Fender Telecasters and Marshall amplifiers and drums and so we peering through the window and they invited us in and let us sit on the couch and listen to them so we had somewhere to hang out and we had these old older people that were doing what we thought was great so some of my friends and and i we decided we were going to form a band so we formed a band and we did a few concerts and then it all split up and i got a girlfriend and blah 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 but mike's always been a friend of mine and when i was 17 i've been dabbling with smoking pot and we used to drink Friday night was spent at the Liberal Club in Marple most nights. And it'd start off by going into the co-op with your overcoat on, with your lining ripped, and you go and buy ten number six cigarettes. And while they turn round to get the cigarettes from the counter, this hand would mysteriously come out from the inside of the coat lining, grab a bottle of whiskey, pull it back into the coat lining and drop it into the bottom of the coat, and you stood there as if nothing's happened pay your 62 pence or whatever it was for your 10 cigs, walk out with a bottle of Bells, you know, yeah. go to the Liberal Club, buy half a Coke, top it up with whiskey and do that all night, you know. So 15, 16, probably drinking from the age of 14. We used to go to a hotel in Marple called the West Towers that had a cellar bar with a pool table. It's like a dungeon bar, really cool, low ceiling, yeah. really yeah. Lit. Carlsberg was 40 pence a pint. Oh. So you could go out with two quid, have three pints, 10 fags... Yeah and get chips and gravy on the way home. And it was you know, and at, f- at 14, I mean, that's all you wanted, really. You know. So, but by the Chips time, and gravy, that's northern, isn't it? But, but by the time I was like 15, 16, I think my last year at school, some of the, the guys I was knocking around with were dabbling with smoking weed. and well, It wasn't weed then, it, it was hash. We used to smoke hash, yeah. which was obviously the solid resin from the plant, and um, it was readily available, And so we dabbled with that. By the time I was 17, I spent two months in strange ways. Um, Which is the prison in Manchester. <laughs> yeah, the big Victorian <laughs> in case jail. people didn't know. <laughs> yeah. Cut a long story short, I spent two months in strange ways on remand and at trial my case got dismissed because I had 11 witnesses to say that I was nowhere near the scenes of the crime. I mean, that was a miracle in itself. I'd been charged with these crimes that had occurred 18 months earlier and I'd sort of like been picked up at 5.30 in the morning by CID while I was living at my friend's house after being at the Ritz on a Monday night. So I'd missed the last bus back. We'd been drinking Alston pills and smoking weed all night. I'd walked back from Stockport, got the last bus to Stockport, the 192, and then walked back to Marple, got in at probably about four thirty five o'clock, fell asleep on the couch, half an hour later, I'm being woken up by the CID standing over me. As you do. Uh, so they, they dragged me off, and, uh, and, and after a few hours under their interrogation and the way they used to handle things then, I just thought, I'm not getting out of here if I don't tell them something. So... I admitted to some things that I hadn't done. And when they asked for details, I couldn't give them the details because I hadn't done them. So I said, if you get me a list of these crimes, I'll show you which ones I've done because I haven't done them all. So I admitted to three, and then they said, well, what about these three? I said, no, I haven't done those. And they meant, well, we'll take these into consideration. I'm going, well, whatever. And I didn't know what it was. Then they let me make my phone call. So I phoned my dad. And my dad I said, you're a bloody idiot. You don't admit to something you haven't done. And
0: Absolutely.
3: They locked me up for the night, went to court in the morning. Not guilty, remanded one week. What? Next thing I know, I'm in a van going to Strangeways. So that was a short, sharp shot. I was yeah. expecting they'd let me go home and then we'd, you know, we'd pick the bones out of it, but no, I went straight to Strangeways. So when I saw my solicitor, and he came to visit me, he was like, well, these crimes that occurred on these particular dates, can you remember where you were and who you were with? I'm like, it's 18 months ago. I can't remember what I did last week. So the impending doom, like this is getting worse. Being arrested is one thing, but being in jail, it was a nightmare. You know, yep. um, and I think that was the first time that I prayed earnestly. You know, I, I think I prayed to God and I said, you've got to get me out of this. If you get me out of this, I'll serve you. My solicitor came to see me this day and he said, look, the only way we're going to beat this is if you've got an alibi. Did you keep a diary? So I said, no, I never kept... I said, well, actually, actually, I had a diary for a short period of time. I said, somebody gave me a student's union diary, and I might have put a couple of scribblings in it, but i would be very surprised if there's anything in there. Where's this diary? Well, it's at my mum and dad's house. It's in my bedside cabinet, or it was if it hasn't been thrown out. Yeah. My solicitor goes to my mum and dad's house, discover this diary, and they discover, for every date, for every time, for every crime I've been charged with, I've got a rock-solid alibi. <laughs> So when we got to trial, a month after I'd been locked up, I had 11 witnesses in wow. the waiting room to testify that I was with them doing what I had said in my statement to my solicitor. My solicitor had been spoken to them and corroborated it without me having any contact with them, told the same stories. So it was a walk. It was a cakewalk. Yeah. The police saw this, charged me with the crimes they'd taken into consideration, and I got locked back up again.
0: (laughs) Okay, we'll leave it there for the moment. We'll take a break for some music, and then we'll return to Rick Henry. And we're going to hear from a local artist now called Pete Caulfield. And this is a track called Gift Beyond Words. and a track called Gift. Beyond words, you're listening to Flame Radio on 1521 Medium Wave and online. Joining me with our studio guest Rick Henry. And Rick, you were explaining about how you were taken off back to Strange Ways. Strange Ways, Here We Come. Now, yeah, what Strange that, Ways, here that we There have Been. Um,
3: <laughs> I think that's going to be our album title. Um, <laughs> what happened next? Well, obviously, got another trial date set, which was for another month. So I just had to just sit it out. But yeah, it was a real harrowing experience, really. I mean, for a, a young 17 year old kid who's never seen the inside, out of a police cell before being in strange was a sharp short shock it really was and were you still praying i think i prayed the once i think i just prayed the once obviously you don't know how things are gonna go you don't know what's happening you know you're locked up and you don't know what's going on in the outside world we'd only know when it got to trial. i think for the last month what used to happen was that every friday we would leave strange ways in a van and we would give all our kit back you know our blanket and your pillowcase and your cutlery and your shaving apparatus and whatever you get your civvies on and then you well you you get handcuffed to another another prisoner, march to the van, put in a box, and you drive it to the police station where you have your lunch and then they take you to the courthouse where you appear before the magistrates, give you a plea, and you get remanded again, back to the cell, back to the van, back to Strangeways. That was the route to that. So it was a day out on a Friday in the van. And whenever they moved you from a vehicle, you were always handcuffed to another prisoner. Now, I think the last three or four weeks, I was handcuffed to one of three other guys from Stockport who were on the run. They were been on the run for 18 months for like aggravated burglary, car theft, credit card fraud, a whole bunch of things. They were expecting to get a Sentence of about six years each. So I was banged up with those every Friday. These guys, every Friday, there was one particular Friday when we were in the cells at um, Stockport Magistrates Court, and they're going, um, Yeah, yeah, blah, blah, blah. Like, what are you talking about? What are you, what are you talking about there in secret? What's going on? You're going, Yeah, lad, we're doing a runner. I'm like, What do you mean you're doing a runner? <laughs> Yeah, well, when the screw takes us back to the van and he goes, we're going to deck him and then we're going to leg it. You can run, can't you? And I'm going, whoa, well, whoa, well, well, I ain't running. But well, there's a problem with your plan here, fellas. And they're going, what's that? I was going, well, I'm going to be handcuffed to one of you. <laughs> and they're going oh, but you can run lad look at you you know you, you can run I said I'm not running and this guy the bigger the, the three guys have put it this way if you don't run I'll knock you out myself I'll throw you over my shoulder and I'll run with you so I'm thinking oh this is going to look great when they catch us oh you're pleading not guilty Mr Henry then why did you run So I'm thinking, oh, and my heart was in my throat, and I'm thinking, oh, what am I going to do, what am I going to do? This is getting worse and worse. It was a nightmare. So anyway, I got called out to go and appear before the magistrates and give my plea, and as I was stood before I stepped down into the dock to give my plea, I said to the guard, I said, listen, boss, these three clowns are going to do a runner after court. I said, but I don't want to do a runner because I'm getting out in a couple of weeks, and he went, right, lad, okay, leave it to me. Not guilty. Remanded one week back to my cell. When he closed the door on the cell, I went, you bleep bleep idiots. They went, what? I said, are you bleep bleep stupid? And they're going, what do you mean, what do you mean? And I said, I could hear every word you were saying out there. I said, the screw knows you're going to do a runner. And I was thinking, oh, this is so obvious that I've grasped them up. They didn't suss it out. When they took us out of the cell to take us back to the van, he handcuffed the three of them together, and the hand that was free at either end, he handcuffed right round the back. So he basically tied him in a knot in handcuffs and marched the three of them into the van in a ball. And I put my hands out to be handcuffed. He went, you're all right, lad. <laughs> and I was thinking, oh, no, next week, they're going to suss out between now and next week that I've grasped them up. I'm going to get stabbed up. Next week, I was in a cell with different people, you know. Yeah. So, you were living by your wits every day. If you went on exercise, you you, were, yeah, on a wing and a prayer. So I got out of jail, my court case was dismissed, I had 11 witnesses but the police were telling one story and then the other policeman was telling another story and the magistrates saw that things weren't right and basically dismissed the case and I got out. So when I got out I'd lost my job. I moved back to my parents' house and I carried on, you know, taking drugs and drinking. I mean, while I was in strange ways, my cellmate, because when you're on remand, you can have a visit every day. So my cellmate was getting um, a lump of hash and jugs of vodka smuggled in every day or every other day. So our cell was party central. You know, we were smoking dope all day and drinking vodka. When I was in court, when I got my case dismissed, I was high as a kite. <laughs> I'd been up all night. I was stoned out of my mind. If they'd have said, oh, 15 years, I wouldn't have known what's in me, you know. But thankfully, I got out. I got out, and I got into harder drugs. You know, when, when you're in that scene, you're hanging around with people who take pot and speed or whatever, you know, and like to drink and party. There's always something, you know. So I got into taking speed, and then I got into taking heroin. Keith Richards was one of my heroes, one of my musical heroes. He was like the ultimate outlaw. You know, he was the ultimate anti-establishment bad boy of rock and roll. He was a pirate. He lived above the law and he was untouchable. And I thought, yeah, he's a cool dude, you know. And I knew that he was a heroin addict for 15 years. You know, Johnny Thunders was another guitar hero of mine. and The American Punk. One of the original New York dolls. Steve Jones from the Sex Pistols said that, you know, everything he did was a rip off of Johnny Thunders. Paul Weller,
0: yeah. Mm. Holidays in the Sun, that sounds like the jams in the city. Well, yeah. We digress. And a holiday, a cheap holiday in other people's misery, misery. yeah.
3: So by the time I was probably 18, 19, I was smoking dope every day, drinking whenever we went to the pub. Every weekend at least, and then it started bleeding into the week, you know. And then you heroin speed I had a friend who had a job he was younger than me I used to score drugs off him and um, but it was only soft drugs and and he knew that I'd been using heroin and he was like I want to try it I want to try it and I'm like you've got a job you what you go to work in a suit you've got money coming in you've got the facade of being a, a respectable member of society are you mental you know you don't want to be getting into this but he bugged me and bugged me and bugged me and when we didn't have any money one night it was like okay tonight's the night a year later that guy's got a £600-a-week heroin habit, and he's on the run from the police, you know? so we're,
0: We'll cut for a little bit more music now, and we'll talk about other things and how life very much changed for Rick not long after that, but we're going to hear a track from a band that Rick has worked with previously. This is The Alarm featuring Mike Peters, the Christian Mike Peters on lead vocals, and this is a track called Down the Road.
1: I was born.
0: On. Yep, and it's called Down the Road. You're listening to Flame Radio on 1521 Medium Wave and online. We're a Christian and community radio station coming to you live from our studios here in Rock Ferry, Birkenhead, with me as our studio guest, Rick Henry. Rick. In all of this, by now you're you're really heavily into drugs. Yeah. You've recently got a mate of yours into a £600 a day habit.
3: £600 a week. (laughs) He had to go robbing to support that habit, so... Did it all change? Uh, Me and Mike, I mentioned earlier Mike Elliott, who's, who's my best friend and my best man, we were putting a band together and we had a flat together and we were in trouble together and we were taking drugs together and we were out of control together and I think we were so out of control that we ended up getting thrown out of the, the flat we were in. The landlady got pregnant after a mad night and it was chaos. So I moved back to my parents and obviously they were concerned about me because I wasn't well. You know, I was seven stone. My teeth were loose. miss cheekbones, if, if, if my cheekbones had been any higher, my ears had been on top of my head. I was probably a scary looking object, you know, when I walked down the street and they said basically, You've got to get a job if you're going to stay here. So I got a job in a factory, in a clothes processing warehouse, and I ended up working for a supervisor called Alan Cooper, who was a born-again Christian. Okay. And I started working on the top floor of the factory in, in the goods in department. There was a big chute that used to come up the back of the mill. It was like a six-floor old Victorian mill, and the goods would come up this big conveyor belt to the top, and we'd stack them, and then they get sent down to be processed and dispatched from the second floor where Alan Cooper worked. I'd been sacked from goods Inn because I clocked in late every day or sometimes I wouldn't clock in at all. I'd clock in, go to the bottom of the chute and smoke a joint and then go and sky for an hour. So it was like, we can't have this guy, he's no good. So the managing director... <laughs> guy called Gordon Haynes, who was another boring end Christian, said, send him down to Alan Cooper and see what he can do with him. Now, Alan was going back to his wife, to Ard, and saying, oh, I've got this lad, Richard, he's a druggie, he's, you know, I'm going to have to let him go because he's late all the time or sometimes he doesn't turn in. And so they were praying for me. Good. So there was a particular night, I was at my friend Andy's house, and we'd just polished off a litre bottle of Jack Daniels and we'd smoked about an eighth of gold seal hash, which is this really potent resin. It hadn't touched the sides. I just felt numb. I wasn't high. I wasn't drunk. I felt numb and I felt empty and I felt desperate. And I thought, I'm going to be dead before I'm 21. I'm using heroin. I'm using speed. I smoke dope every day. I drink spirits. I can drink half a bottle of Jack Daniels and it doesn't touch the side. At 19 years old, there's something wrong. And I remember I'd been reading a Gideon Bible for comfort because on the nights where I didn't have any strong drugs, I couldn't sleep. And the fear that used to come on me, paranoia. The paranoia and the fear and the horrors, I think they call it. I'd have to neck half a bottle of Night Nurse to knock myself out, just so I could sleep. Just one night, he'd open the next bottle, you know, starting on the next bottle of Jack Daniels, and I said, no, I've had enough, I'm going home. As I'd walked back, and I stopped outside my mum and dad's house, and I cried out, and I said, God, God, please help me. But it wasn't acknowledging God, it was just like a desperate cry from within. Yeah. I came in, I picked this Bible up, and I opened it up, and I read these words. It said... You must give up your wicked ways, you must give up your debauchery, you must be born again. Now you'll know, as believers, that those words aren't in the Bible, in that order. But they might as well have been written in the sky, in a neon sign, because it penetrated right into the depth of me and spoke right into my situation. Now, when I woke up in the morning, there was a knock at the front door, and it was one of the maintenance men from the factory. And he'd come to borrow an amplifier off me, because he had a gig that night for a, his father-in-law's birthday party, a guy called Mike Herod, of all names.
0: Herod, Herod? Herod. And I said, hey, you're
3: a Christian, aren't you? And he said, oh, well, sort of, yeah. <laughs> you know." And I said, this thing happened to me last night. I was really desperate, blah, blah, blah. And he said, oh, yeah, it sounds like God's calling you. And I thought... <laughs> What a nutcase. Closed the door, didn't think about it, but it was playing on my mind. So I went to work on Monday, late as usual, and all the lads were working, and Alan said, right, sit down, I want a word with you, and unbeknown to me, he was going to sack me that morning. And I sat down and I waited for him, and he came over and he said, right. And I went, hey, Alan, what's all this about being born again? And he thought, can't sack him now.
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> so he told me yeah. it wasn't about being good. It wasn't about going to church. It was about knowing Jesus. And I thought he was on drugs. And the lads I was working with, they were going, Rick can't be a Christian. And Alan was going, why not? He goes, because he's a druggie. And Alan was going, so what? What's that got to do with anything? Jesus loves druggies. And this was revolution to me. This was like breaking every religious stronghold in my mind i thought you had to be good i thought you had to go to church i thought you had to say three Hail marys and four glory bees and do rosary beads and put money in and he's like no none of that nonsense he goes it's about knowing jesus jesus came to save sinners and after a while he stopped answering our questions and he'd say if you want to know go and ask god yeah but my lifestyle didn't change i still carried on taking drugs but i didn't want to the desire had gone away I hated taking drugs, but I had to take drugs. I wasn't happy taking drugs. We'd go to a gig, and all my friends would be there, and I'd just sit in the corner getting stoned. And usually when they'd say, are you all right, Rick? I'd be like, yeah, yeah, cool, S- smoke this, here, blah, blah, blah. No, it was like, no, I'm not all right, and nobody yeah. knew how to deal with me. Now, we went to a party one particular night. Again, I was with my friend Mike, and um, we were drinking a bottle of wine that Alan had given us when we closed the factory at Christmas. And we were smoking joints, and we were snorting big lines of speed, and all I could talk about was God. And I said to Mike, Mike, do you realise that if we both die tonight, we would go to hell? Really? That's a conversation killer at a party, isn't it? Really, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. But I knew it was the truth. I knew yeah. because of the way I'd lived, the immoral way that I'd lived, and I had rejected everything. I had just lived selfishly. And now there I was, addicted to drugs and alcohol, trapped in a lifestyle that was going to kill me. I was convinced I would be dead in six months' time. I got home, I got on my knees in my bedroom, and I prayed a prayer, and I said, Jesus, I don't know how I ended up a drug addict. I didn't set out in life to be a drug addict, but I am one, and I can't change. And all those things that I rejected, like a normal life, like a family, like a home, I'll never have those things, and I wept myself to sleep. I remember specifically praying, Jesus, forgive me. Come into my life and change me. Now, the Bible says that weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Amen. I didn't know that. But in the morning when I woke up, I sat on the edge of my bed and I had drug paraphernalia and drugs, and I looked at them and I thought, I don't need those anymore. pushed them into the waste paper basket. I got up off off, off my bed, I'm walking around my room, and I'm thinking, something's different, something's changed here. Mm. I don't feel the same. I felt light as a feather. I felt like a 10-ton weight had been lifted off me. I didn't have a thick, cloudy head. I didn't have a hangover. I felt a peace that I'd never experienced before. I had this deep, settling peace that seemed to fill me. I felt joy bubbling up that I'd never experienced before. And I thought, what's going on? I felt brand new. That's what I felt. I felt brand new. And then I remembered that I prayed to Jesus. Yes. And then the revelation hit me that Jesus was alive. Jesus was alive. And that he heard the prayer of a drug addict, of a wastrel, of someone who threw his life away, who had no regard for anyone but himself.
0: And there it was. You knew. You knew tangibly that something had happened. Oh, yeah. Something real had happened. Yeah. And in reality, what had happened was that you had been forgiven of your sins and that your guilt had been removed. That's right. As well as the hangover being lifted, Hmm. your guilt had been removed. And you sensed it, even though you weren't necessarily conscious of what had happened. I got born
3: again. Yeah. I got born again. That's what happened. I, you know, I received God's spirit of sonship. When I cried out to Jesus and I asked him to forgive me, to be my Lord and my Saviour, then I became his child and he became my God. And that's what happened. You were still the same Rick Henry, but on another level, you were a brand new
0: Rick Henry. Yeah. You were still a sinner, but you were now a forgiven Forgiven sinner. Forgiven sinner.
4: When I let myself down A man would have cursed me Had me run out of town But you cleaned me up Set my feet on solid ground Placed your spirit down deep in my heart You didn't scream for my blood Cheated, lied, and stole, and called your children food. A man would feel within his rights to put out my lights, but he didn't. You forgave me, and that's why I worship you.
0: listening to Flame Radio on 1521 medium wave we're just quickly going to take a break for a little bit more music this is a track by Larry Norman and why should the devil have all the good music i want
5: the know that he saved my soul but i still like to listen to the radio they say rock and roll is wrong will give you one more chance i say it feels so good i got to get up and dance i know what's right i know what's wrong i don't think give- I never have all the good music, and I feel good every day, because Jesus is the rock and he rolled my blues away. They say to cut my hair, they're driving me insane, I threw it out long to make room for my brain, but sometimes people don't understand what's a good boy doing in a rock and roll band. There's nothing wrong with playing blues if you got a reason tell me to my Can't keep a good man down. I feel good every day. I don't want to lose it. All I want to, all I want to know Christ for the devil, have all the good music. I've been filled, I feel okay. Jesus is the rocket, roll my blues. Jesus is the rocket, roll my blues. Jesus
0: is the rocket, roll my blues away. Yeah. Larry North. Should the devil all the good music. You're listening to Flame Radio on 1521 Medium Wave and online. My studio guest is Rick Henry. And Rick, you talked about how you came to faith in Jesus Christ, in repentance and in forgiveness. And I believe that as we speak, that was nearly 30 years ago. Yeah, 28 years ago. You became a Christian. Since then, you've done a lot of stuff in music and we don't have time at the moment to talk about that stuff. But as we speak today, you've just started with a new band of your own, a band called The Royal Standard. Can you tell us a little bit about this new group, this fledging group, but yeah. also about the name?
3: Well, it's come about quite organically, really, because a friend of mine who works at The Message, Simon Sullivan, said, oh, I've been speaking to this guy called Neil Roddy. Um, he was, he's an old punk rocker. Oh, uh, yeah. Probably about our age. He goes, do you know him? And I was thinking no but I think I need to speak to him I said is he a musician he says yeah he's, he's, a, he's a punk musician I was going I definitely want to speak to him so we met and we chatted and I think the moment that I met him I thought yeah this guy needs to be in a band with me and then a good old friend of mine called Brian Mackey who's another Glossop lad well, he's living in Glossop um, one of the best drummers that I've ever played with I used to be in a worship band with him years and years ago okay. and I, I was pestering him to do something and when we sort of like talking on the punk band I don't think he, he was really into the idea of punk but then as I've been sort of like preaching on my soapbox on Facebook and um, his wife Viv's been reading my posts and I think as they've caught the vision of what we want to do um Brian's come on board 100% I mean the best thing about him is is that it's not about the music it's not about being in a band it's about getting the message out. Yeah, all we care about is having a, a platform to be able to speak the truth. Yeah. And music's a powerful platform, it? but it's an open door for the gospel. That's that's what it's all about. It's not about being in a band. I mean, I've been around bands since the age of fourteen. I've been around bands. You've I've worked, I worked professionally the alarm, with bands. I've worked for the Alarm. I've worked for loads of big name bands. I've toured all over the world. Did it for eighteen years. You know, it nearly killed me. I'm not <laughs> impressed by rock and roll. I'm not impressed by celebrity because I've seen these people in their under pants, you know what I'm saying, in dressing rooms, I've seen him come off stage all sweaty and cleaning the teeth, so I've heard him moaning in restaurants and complaining in airports and in hotel receptions, so I'm not impressed by any of it, you know, Um, I've rubbed shoulders with the Rolling Stones and I've rubbed shoulders with the Who, and with the Who, yeah, so this is not about the music, the music is a side issue, if you like, you know, so we want to go and play in the prisons, we want to play for the punk rockers, we want to play for anyone who will have us come and play for them, basically, I mean, we'll even play in church. Even in church? Even in church. church.
0: Well, Rick Henry, unfortunately time has caught up with us, but many thanks for coming along to the studios today. Thanks for sharing about what life used to be like for you and how you came through into saving faith in Jesus Christ. And we look forward to hearing a lot from the Royal Standard on Flame Radio in the future. One member of The Standard is Neil Roddy. He's been in other groups like Neil and also the Ambassadors of Shalom. And today we're going to go out with one of their tracks. This is the Ambassadors of Shalom featuring Neil Roddy. And we're going to go out with a track called Death by Love. Rick Henry, thank you very much indeed. Thanks a lot. This is Death by Love. Has a great testimony and he certainly speaks the truth and it really is challenging stuff. And Rick is friends with Neil Roddy, and Neil in turn is a good friend of Flame Radio. We often play his stuff on Flame. Neil has been involved with various Christian acts like the ambassadors of Shalom and a group called Neil. And in fact, we had Neil Roddy, that is, live in session on Flame. And now Neil Roddy has joined with Rick Henry and with another uh, to form a new group called the royal standard they've just recently started uh, to record tracks in the studio they're playing their first gig and rick recorded a track for us and i'm delighted to say that this really is an exclusive for flame this is the very first bit of royal standard that you'll hear on the radio yeah do look out for the royal standard in the future they've got a big future ahead of them we've closed the chat room door but please tune in next time to flame ccr on 1521 medium wave for more from green door studios chat room
5: green door
0: I hope you enjoyed this programme, which is under the copyright of World Christian Media Limited. Details of the Flame CCR broadcasts and webcasts are on our website www.flameradio.org. Thank you for listening.